Good morning, ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls. All of us at Epcot Center are glad to have you as our guests today. We welcome you and hope you find your day with us to be a most enjoyable one. Welcome aboard, TTA travelers. Whether you're a humanoid, a robot, or an alien passenger, we hope you enjoy your trip along Tomorrowland Transit Authority's Super Skyway. We have dedicated this happy place to the ideals, the dreams, and the hard facts that have created America. Hello, my friend, and welcome to the WW Radio Show, your Walt Disney World information station. I am your host, Lou Mangiello, and this is show number 736. And together, as we have been since 2005, we're going to celebrate the magic of the Disney parks, movies, Marvel, Star Wars, and more here on the podcast, our weekly live video on Facebook every Wednesday night, events, blog, and more. Please be sure to join the community at www.radio.com slash clubhouse. Subscribe to the podcast, tell a friend, and find everything else at www.radio.com. This week, step into the world of Disney theme park music as we journey through the captivating history of its soundtracks with classic stories, sounds, and symphonies preserved on vinyl and CD. I invite you to join us on this nostalgic exploration of the timeless melodies that have brought the magic to life for generations of theme park fans. This week, we're going to delve deep into the captivating story of how Disney's theme park soundtracks made their way out of the parks and into our homes and cars and eventually our phones. And from the nostalgic crackle of a well-worn record to the pristine sound of a compact disc, we're going to unravel the stories behind these enchanting compilations and collections and collectibles showcasing how they've shaped the immersive experience at Disney Parks World Ride and their enduring impact on guests. Then stay tuned for a Disney trivia question of the week and more updates at the end of the show. And if you like what you hear, please share the show and tell a friend. So sit back, relax, and enjoy this week's episode of the WW Radio Show. Music. It is a critical element in storytelling. It is evocative, emotional, and acts really as a powerful guiding force that ignites our imagination and transports us into extraordinary narratives. And in past episodes of the show, we've looked specifically at how music enhances the enchantment with, within the iconic Walt Disney World theme parks. Back on shows 601 and 602, we looked at the music of Magic Kingdom. 609 and 610, we looked at the music of Future World and Epcot. 626 and 627, the music of World Showcase. 
and 704, 705, we looked at the music of Disney's Hollywood Studios. I promise you, I have not forgotten you, Disney's Animal Kingdom. It is coming very, very soon. But when we do visit the Disney parks, uh, we are immersed using all five senses and in 360 degrees. And I think that what we hear is equally, if not even more important than what we see and smell, yes, even taste, and I think because the music is so important, we often find it comfortable and comforting, and we use it to bring back memories of past park experiences and or connect us to a place and a feeling that we want to get back to again soon. And I think Disney has known that from the very beginning and has afforded us the opportunity to bring the magic of music home with us. So this week, we're going to look at the journey of Disney theme park soundtracks and the wonderful reminders and collectibles these records and CDs have become. And joining me on our musical journey is Eric Schumann, longtime listener and lover of music and Disney. Uh, Eric, welcome to the show. Thank you so much, Lou. I, I finally get to say the things that radio folks and podcasters love to hear, which is First-time contributor, <laughs> long-time listener, first-time contributor. Uh, thank you so much for having me on. Yeah, it's it's really uh, it's really wonderful to take a piece of the parks home with you, uh, especially like you said, when it is something as evocative and just immediately sends you back as the music that you hear in the theme parks. And uh, Disney has known that for quite a while, although as we'll discover, it, it took them a little bit to to really. Uh, send you home with exactly what you heard in the parks, uh, but some truly wonderful souvenir albums uh, have been put out over the years. Yeah, we'll talk about sort of where we came from and where we are now. You know, sometimes with convenience, you lose the collectability of certain things. But you said, right. just by quick way of background, you said you're a lover of music and of Disney, uh, but really music is not just uh, a passion of yours, it's also your profession. Just to sort of give us a sense of context, um, how is sort of music really, you know, part of your career? <laughs> music is uh, entirely my career. I work at a public radio station in Philadelphia, WXPN. Uh, we're home to an NPR syndicated show called World Cafe that features live performances from bands from here in Philadelphia and around the world. I personally have recorded dozens if not hundreds of bands in our performance studio and i've just been an avid music listener and music researcher for more than most of my adult life uh, i've been working here at xpn for for over 10 years and uh, have been just obsessive about learning as much as i possibly can about most things music included and disney included uh, and the uh, the you know, the the overlap, the Venn diagram overlap of that is uh, the music from the theme parks, especially. I, of course, always love music from the the Disney movies, but the theme parks and the uh, the, the placemaking that uh, that they create is is really something unique, is really something special. And I, I think you don't quite notice the impact that the music in the parks has. And I'm pretty sure you've brought this up before when they have, uh, especially in an after hours holiday party in the parks and they pipe in different music over the speakers. That's that's when you notice <laughs> right. the effect, the impact that the music has uh, the rest of the time. Uh, so my, my love of music, my love of record collecting and my love of Disney has uh, really come together in, in this, what we're going to talk about today. 
Yeah, and I, and I think you touched on it, and sort of to sort of lay the foundation for our, our conversation, I think it's important to look at the importance of the role of music and sort of the Disney theme park soundtracks we're going to talk about specifically. And, you know, tell me, how do you think the the the, the soundtracks contribute, you know, to the overall guest experience about, you know, the, the uh, emotions and the memories that they evoke? And I think more importantly, how the music helps to create a a cohesive and really immersive storytelling experience within the parks. Sure. So like I said, it, it kind of took Disney a little bit when they started releasing records, uh, even before Disneyland opened in 1955, uh, Disney had a longstanding partnership with Little Golden Books. So most of the Disney records that came out before the theme parks opened were these storyteller records that you would kind of read along your little golden book and listen along to the story that was usually a retelling of something from one of the feature films or or, or one of the shorts and would often feature uh, new recordings, if not direct lifts of the soundtracks from these movies and shorts. So the first record that I could find that is connected to any of the Disney theme parks was actually released before Disneyland opened. It was from 1954, and it was a golden little golden book storyteller record of the little man of Disneyland. And Disneyland fans know may know about the little man of Disneyland. They've reissued this book a number of times, especially around milestone Disneyland anniversaries. But in Adventureland, kind of near the Jungle Cruise, kind of near the Indiana Jones Adventure queue, there is a tree that I'm pretty sure is a real tree. But at the base of the tree, there's what looks to be a little door and a little lamp. If you kind of picture Winnie the Pooh's house with the you know sign over the door built into a tree. And there lives, according to this story, the little man of Disneyland, this uh, uh, Lilliputian kind of leprechaun-styled character who allegedly was already living in that plot in Anaheim before Disneyland was uh, was being built. So that was the first, or at least one of the very first, Disney Parks-related records that people could get their hands on. Does it have music from the parks? Not really. Is it connected to an attraction in the parks? Uh, barely, <laughs> I would say. Um, but as far as giving people something to take with them, to take home from the parks. It really took until the opening of Walt Disney World for official recordings that kind of gave you a, a snapshot, all-inclusive postcard, uh, audio postcard of the music in the parks experience. And uh, if you want, we can get into the first of these uh, of these records that I want to talk about that I think is maybe the one that most people have. And actually, I know everybody loves visual aids on the radio and podcast. So I actually brought with me some copies of CDs and records that I have. And uh, the first one, as I will show you, is the official album of Disneyland slash Walt Disney World. Does this look familiar to you? It does. You know, I went and sometimes I wish, just, you know, we were doing this in, on video as well, because I, I have some of these. They are um, in the archives, as I like to say. And by the archives, I mean it buried in my closet and or my garage somewhere. But before before we get into some of the specific oh, yeah, yeah, albums, yeah. I want to just I want to quickly take 
a step back and sure. and almost from, from a, a, a business perspective. I, I thought it was interesting because before 1956, the, the Disney studios didn't even have their own record company. Um, right. They were, they were sort of uh, partnering with, with labels like RCA and Capitol and Columbia and Decca and, and a bunch, bunch of smaller independent labels who uh, produced and distributed and advertised all of the music from the Disney films and the, and the, the songs and the stories. And it took some time and some convincing for Disney legend Jimmy Johnson to convince Roy, Roy O. Disney, to sort of internalize that operation and, you know, to justify the costs, he sort of explained what the profits would be. And it really took sort of the, the Mickey Mouse Club phenomenon to help him sort of convince Roy that, yeah, we're going to need our own record company, not just for this, but for what I and I think we as a company have planned for the future. And, you know, I think even before we jump to Walt Disney World, I I think it's important to sort of, again, lay the, the record foundation. And one of the ones I think is, is most interesting. And even if you can't find the record or record, or if you, if you want to find the record or CD, I'm sure (laughs) they're out there. there. You can can find the audio recordings because the Disneyland and the Disney, I think theme park records really sort of has its origins at Disneyland um, in 1955. And back at that time, they didn't have specific soundtracks released for the attractions, but they did have background music. And this is where, where names like George Bruns and, and Buddy Baker come into play. And in 1956, um, they released Walt Disney Takes You to Disneyland, which really I yes. think was the first Disney park-related record. And what I love about this, Eric, is, is it wasn't just the, the the music of Disneyland or the sound of Disneyland, but it's Walt providing a guided tour with narration and sound effects. And to have sort of little like walk side-by-side side with Walt on this 10-inch vinyl record was amazing. And, and, they would really re-release this later on as as a day in Disneyland, and there was some some Jiminy Cricket narration and whatnot in there. But I, I think this was was really important because it presented this music in a way that guests had never experienced before. Right, so they took all these original um, master recordings and and film tracks and had Walt who, you know, really, this is the first time he's ever sort of recorded for the label, sort of bearing his name, you know, about him sort of taking you on this tour. But he, at the at the beginning of each land, he speaks briefly about it. And then there are these wonderful overtures composed by 2D Camerata. And, you know, you hear Walt reading from the, the dedication plaque and to hear him in his own scripted words uh, talk about some of these lands, especially like Main Street USA, it's it's the longest of all the tracks, and you can almost sort of get a sense of of a heightened passion from Walt uh, about that. But I love this combination of Walt sort of giving you this tour with the music and the added sound effects as well. <laughs> ¶¶ 
Hello, welcome to Disneyland. We have dedicated this happy place to the ideals, the dreams, and the hard facts that have created America. This dedication is engraved on a plaque at the foot of the flagpole in the Disneyland Town Square. Suddenly as we come into this square, the cares and worries of today are left behind and we find ourselves in a little town in the year 1900. On one hand is the city hall and on the other is the fire station. Down Main Street we see the Emporium and all the many shops. There is the old music store, the Penny Arcade with its blaring orchestrion, the Popcorn Man, and the old Calliope. At the end of the street, the marching band appears in full regalia. But let's take the horse-drawn streetcar and ride down Main Street. Yeah. Yeah, this is a really special recording, and I actually I have it on CD. I have the uh, the, the reissued version that was released for uh, Disneyland's 50th anniversary. That combines the way it was originally released, kind of like you said, was in a series of records. Uh, some were 10-inch records, some were were seven-inch 45s, depending on what year of the issue it was. Uh, they were released in a way that each land was represented on a different record so you could have this very nice keepsake album of all of disneyland uh being being uh brought to you presented to you by walt disney himself and like you said there's some jiminy cricket narration tutti camarada is one of my favorite people in disney history is just a fascinating character who uh led the way not just uh musically and, and arrangement wise but uh, was the the manager of the the companies when it finally did establish its own record label and uh, studio, uh, Sunset Sound. Um, he he was the manager of that studio for for many many decades. What is really interesting about this, uh, the Walt Disney takes you to Disneyland record, is it strikes me almost as much as an audio version of the Disneyland TV series, almost uh, more than if you were to actually go because it is it is the perfect it is the most perfect going through experience you're not hearing any other people mm-hmm. you're just hearing walt and the sound effects and the music and it is so lovingly and lavishly produced that uh, it must have been very enticing it, it must have been a uh, you know if, if somebody only heard this just the way that uh, people only saw the Disneyland TV series and the previews of the parks before or the preview of the park before it opened, they must have thought, my God, I have to get to this place and <laughs> see and hear, especially hear all this stuff for, for myself. And it serves as a really wonderful time capsule because as everybody knows, Disneyland changed very dramatically over those first several years of its existence. So this captures Disneyland in its earliest days um, similar to the, the Disneyland TV series, but also the uh, the People and Places Disneyland USA special. It's, it reminds me of that, too, um, with this very, you know, almost kind of stately, very official um, uh, narration by by Walt. Uh, it's it's really great. And I'm, I'm thrilled that Disney has, as at least as recently as the mid-2000s, has kept this in print uh, and has made this available because... As we'll see with some of these other records, 
um, not as easy. Some of them are not as easy to get your hands on as as this. And the uh, the, the version that I have that's on CD, it's been remastered. Uh, you know, it's all of the lands all in one package, and it's really great. I, I highly recommend uh, checking this out if you if you've not heard it before. And what I love, and I think what's important about this one as well is. Yes, it's Walt, but it's it's the format that it uses, this format and formula that it uses and, and will sort of replicate later on in, in other ones that we're going to talk about, like the, the chilling, thrilling sounds of Haunted Mansion is, you know, it's Walt's narration and then instrumental music and some sound effects, but it is not a, it's not an audio description, meaning Right. He sort of sets the he's stage only in it. He just sets it up. Yeah. He's only in it for like the first maybe 45 seconds yeah. of each track. Because I, I love the idea of this. This affords you the opportunity to let your imagination take over and imagine where it is that you are. I think this is also a very intentional yet very brilliant idea as well. So when you look at things like Frontierland, you know, Roy used to call it cross-pollination, we now call it synergy, they worked in some tracks that were very meant to be um, promotional as well. So we have things like The Ballad of Davy Crockett, but then mm-hmm. Westward Ho the Wagons was this feature film that was you know starring some of the Mouseketeers and, and Fess Parkers and things like that. So this was sort of this first live-action soundtrack to originate on Disneyland Records, which, by the way, has beautiful um, cover art by Peter Ellenshaw. You know, we can talk about some of the the cover art for some of these as well. So I think very much by design, there's, like you mentioned, you know, there's Disneyland The Place, there's Disneyland The TV Show, and now we have Disneyland The Record label as well, which are all ways to sort of give you this, this sense of being there or this desire to go to this place that they have set the stage and sort of teased your imagination with, with records like Walt Disney takes you to Disneyland. Yeah. They were just as much uh, souvenirs for people who had been to Disneyland as they were advertisements for people who they wanted to bring to Disneyland and for people to uh, encourage their, their friends and family members to, uh, to come. And this one stands out. Walt Disney takes you to Disneyland stands out as pretty unusual because, like you said, it is very uh, imagination based. It's very much just like a, uh, you know, sort of like a binaural audio tour of a theme park, except without uh, somebody giving you fun trivia facts as you go along. It would be decades before the technology would catch up to uh, to, to that sort of thing. Um, but it's really unusual in that they to the to the best of my knowledge never released this some something quite like this ever again mm-hmm. where it was really up to your own imagination or your familiarity with the parks you know if you had been to disneyland you would recognize what some of these things music cues sound effects and and, and things like that were but if you had never been it was up to certainly there was no internet back then. And and in Disneyland's earliest years, it was probably information was probably limited to people who saw it on TV or saw it in person on the West coast. Uh, it was really up to you to kind of piece these things together. And I can only imagine somebody hearing this record or, or any of these records having not been to Disneyland 
and hearing like, my gosh, what are these, this like spaceship counting down the, the Tomorrowland <laughs> section is one of my favorites because Tomorrowland has not sounded that way in, in quite a long time. Uh, so to hear the, the very clinical, uh, science, hard scientific Tomorrowland committed to record is, is yeah. really, really cool. That's sort of that mission control dialogue yeah, and that, yeah. that original George Bruns music as well that very much you know you hear that and that you know you are in the you know the late 50s um early 60s but what i think this does eric is it gives rise and, and really sort of gives birth to the realization that not only was was something like this very popular but instead of just doing this overall tour of disneyland you know i think it's this idea of giving the people what they want and now starting to create attraction specific vinyl yes. soundtracks um which they started to do in the 60s, I think to I think they serve a couple of purposes, right? The, yes, there are collectibles and souvenirs and things you can take home, but it's this idea of like we want to do now, right? Why we listen to and create podcasts and watch videos is recreating the magic of the attractions at home, being able to relive some of your favorite experiences. And I think they sort of did it really kind of two ways. I, I look at things like the Haunted Mansion album in 1969, slightly different than things like Pirates of the Caribbean and Enchanted Tiki Room and some of the others, because the Haunted Mansion, the, the thrilling, chilling sounds of the Haunted Mansion was, I think, sort of a stepping stone from Walt Disney takes you to Disneyland, because here it wasn't just the music, that, that sort of Buddy Baker music of the Haunted Mansion, but it is this, you know, macabre narration and sound effects and atmospheric music, which really was sort of meant to sort of capture the feel and sort of the ambiance of the Haunted Mansion attraction, but with this completely new story and new new narration. If the the young Mike, the the narrator in <laughs> the attraction uh, in in the record sounds familiar, you may know Ron Howard from such movies and TV shows as, you know, insert them all here. But this is, you know, young Ronnie Howard, the actor and director, playing the voice of Mike in this story that that almost, if you've never been to the Haunted Mansion before, it almost sort of sets the stage and sort of gives you like a backstory about what it is and what to expect when you go. So when you approach New Orleans Square and you approach the gates and you approach that mansion, you have some context that either you heard before on this album or you get to sort of expand on your experience by taking this home after you visited Disneyland. So, Lou, I would not be a record obsessive if I did not point out that you, my friend, are actually conflating two different records that were released to tie in to the Haunted Mansion. What you're describing is uh, and I have the CD copy here and I have the uh, the vinyl copy at, at home. It's framed on, on my wall back home. Uh, this record, the one with Ron Howard and the narration by Thurl Ravenscroft uh, stepping in as the as the ghost host narrator. This is from 1969. This is from the year the Haunted Mansion opened in Disneyland or, or, or thereabouts. And this is the story and song from the Haunted Mansion. The chilling, thrilling sounds of the haunted house, as I uh, bring out my vinyl copy of this, well, this was released, this record was released in 1964, while the Haunted Mansion was still in development 
in Disneyland. As you've covered many times uh, on the show over the years, the Haunted Mansion had a long and troubled uh, development o- over the course of you know, well over a decade. Uh, you know, the, the building was built in the early 60s before the World's or right around or before the World's Fair sat empty pretty much in New Orleans Square for a while. And uh, there was a a Marty Sklar plaque outside that really only gave people an inkling as to what the uh, the plan was, because from the sounds of things, the Imagineers weren't quite sure what the plan was themselves. So along with that, they released this record in 1964, The Chilling, Thrilling Sounds of the Haunted House. So they hadn't even figured out Haunted Mansion just yet. Uh, This record is, if you think that the story and song of the haunted mansion is an unusual account (laughs) of the attraction that we know so well backwards and forwards they've released the official audio for for the haunted mansion's anniversary over the years which that cd that record is really really cool uh especially the the outtakes of uh, of paul freeze in the in the recording booth as as the ghost host giving different line readings of all the the lines that we hear um you know, that we hear now and that we know like the back of our hands. This record, The Chilling, Thrilling Sounds of the Haunted House from 64, has almost nothing to do with the Haunted Mansion itself. It is a collection of sound effects and um, narration, little stories and and audio vignettes. Really well done. I love this record. But if you are looking for grim grinning ghosts <laughs> or or any of the uh, the ghost host narration uh, or any of buddy baker's music it probably hadn't been written yet by the time this record came out uh so this is really cool i know that this album from 64 has a really devoted fan base among um sound effects and sound design aficionados i, I think even the band fish quote-unquote, performed this album at one of their (laughs) Halloween shows uh, years and years ago, which there's not much music on it, so I'm not entirely sure what they did on stage. It's mostly a lot of uh, creaking bridges and whales and uh, whales like whaling, not like uh, like sea whales. Um, I can read some of the tracks on here. I love this so much. Side one, The Haunted House, The Very Long Fuse, The Dogs, Timber, Your Pet Cat, Shipwreck, my personal favorite, The Unsafe Bridge. That's that's one of my favorites on there. Chinese Water Torture, The Birds, The Martian Monsters. So on oh, side two has things like a collection of crashes, a collection of creeks, <laughs> thunder, lightning and rain, screams and groans. So these are some of the sound effects that some of them would later be used in the Haunted Mansion. But these are just like things that they had in the Disney sound library that they thought, gosh, we don't know how much longer this haunted house thing is going to take. We better put something out to, to keep people interested in it. Or maybe this will serve as inspiration for what we eventually got and what is more accurately represented on this record from 1969 with, with Ronnie Howard and a great cover art. You want to talk about great cover art. I love the cover art from the story and song of of the haunted mansion um i'm not sure if this is ken anderson or or who did this but the characters on it are just delightful they definitely had the final or at least close to the final haunted mansion figured out uh i would imagine that the artwork for this was done 
maybe around the same time that they were putting in the the animatronics. So you have somebody who looks like the Hatbox Ghost. You have the characters making their way out of the open hearse, like you do in the in the ballroom scene. You have the opera singers from the graveyard. So there's this is much much closer, at least in uh, visual uh, inspiration, to what you would find in the haunted mansion once it finally opened the story the story is not exactly the same as you said yeah and it and it, and forgive me that i had sort of gotten these two confused and sort of jumbled them both into one but i think that i think like you said the the chilling thrilling sounds because it's almost sort of disconnected from the haunted mansion is almost not considered sort of a haunted man i mean it is but it isn't because it is exactly right yeah. the 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 the, the stories that are sort of narrated that are in there and the sound effects like you said for the most part are completely separate but this does you know this is part of this series of records and albums that are released that either take you on narrated journey through certain attractions like pirates of the caribbean along with the music and and songs and sound effects or things like the enchanted tiki room which was really just this idea of bringing the tropical serenade home to you and having sort of that, you know, Sherman music and, and Wally Bogue as, as Jose um, acting as your narrator. But it is, it's sort of this idea like we want to do now of bringing the elements of the show that we love or the, or the attraction we love so much home with us in sort of record format so we can replay them over and over and over again. Right. The, uh, the the Enchanted Tiki Room album, which uh, came out in 1968, um, that, I don't have a copy of that, but I listen to it all the time. That one is, uh, most of these records, some of them are available on streaming services. Disney has kept them, quote unquote, in print that way. Um, but a lot of them that are not on there in any official capacity some enterprising folks have ripped their vinyl copies and uploaded them so you can listen to them uh, you know the way that they were meant to be heard with all the crackles and pops and, and skips and things like that uh what's really great about the enchanted tiki room album uh the tiki room is i would say right up there with haunted mansion is my favorite disney attraction i love the tiki room and what's great about the album is that it is the full original show and over the years not just with the under new management uh redo in the 90s but over the years bits and pieces of music and dialogue have been cut from the tiki room just to make it move a little bit faster we'll, we'll hear the same thing once we get to the country bear jamboree but what is great about the tiki room album from 68 is that the entire original show including the the offenbach uh, Corral, which, uh, you know, early Tiki Room fans probably remember that quite fondly, but that has not been in the show for a really long time. Um, that's on there. And the the other side of the record is the Jungle Cruise. The It is the Jungle Cruise narrated once again by Thurl Ravenscroft doing a very recognizable spiel, but it's a time capsule in a different way than the Tiki Room side is because the jungle cruise by 1968 you know it's been open for almost 15 years at that point it has had some of mark davis's additions the elephant bathing pool the trap safari um but they still hadn't quite fully committed to 
this is an attraction filled with gags and jokes. They were still doing some of the, yes, we will tell you the, the true life adventure, scientific facts, biological facts about these animals that you are seeing. So there's a bit of humor in it. And Thor Ravenscroft plays those moments wonderfully. But there's also a bit where, okay, obviously this was recorded before they had the full joke about Schweitzer Falls. Because I'm pretty sure in his spiel, Thor Ravenscroft introduces Schweitzer Falls and it's named after the famed explorer and philanthropist Albert Schweitzer. <laughs> and it lands. So I'm like, I'm listening to this and like, I know this joke and that is not how that joke goes. There is similarly so close to being a backside of water joke, but he says another review of Schweitzer falls this time from the back. And I, I can't help but think how long was it before some, you know, wisecracking cast member was like, I, I can punch this up. I, I can come up with a better line for this. So in in that way, it's it's a little odd. Um, it's it's a familiar but unfamiliar kind of thing. But it's it's a neat cap, time capsule. This uh, the Tiki Room and Jungle Cruise uh, record is is really great. And and similarly, we've mentioned George Bruns a couple of times. There was another record that featured music that was used as Adventureland area music. And I listened to this one a lot and it came out the year after in 1969. It's called Moonlight Time in Old Hawaii. And this is just a great, not tied to any specific attraction. Uh, although I have to imagine it was played most at the uh, Tahitian Terrace in, in Disneyland. Um, but my favorite place in pretty much anywhere in the Disney parks, at least the ones that I've been to in the States, um, is the Enchanted Tiki Garden that is in Disneyland that's in front. It's like the waiting queue area in 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 uh, the Tiki Room in Disneyland. Um, this just transports me there immediately. Um, I don't know if it's the exact same music that they're still using these days, but it is, it is the right vibe. The vibe is right <laughs> listening to this record. Um, and this one too, you can find, uh, you can find on, on YouTube, I believe somebody has uploaded all of this record. Yeah. A lot of these, you know, a lot of stuff this, that, that we're talking about, and we'll get to this later on is, is you can find it officially on streaming or sometimes unofficially, uh, in other places as well. Uh, and we mentioned the, the Pirates of the Caribbean, right. another one, this one too, it's not just the music, it's this idea of the narration through the scenes as well. And you sort of just imagine Sitting by your record player, you know, closing your eyes and allowing your imagination to take over, remembering where you are, sort of filling in the gaps and sort of allowing you to go on this continuing adventure that you experienced when you were in the attraction, while also hearing other music that you might have heard either in the queue or in Adventureland, like uh, Shenandoah and and some of the other um, um theme music that you'd find in in the area as well but again you've got thorough ravenscraft thorough ravenscroft as the narrator with with the george bruns music underneath it's really great i i would have to assume it's because the length of the jungle cruise spiel as it was in the late 60s was not quite long enough to fill out a, a full album side so the, like you said there is some extra really nice orchestration uh for the last few minutes of of the side of of that record and yeah, as we're moving closer towards the opening of Walt Disney World, 
you can tell that they're they're figuring it out. They're figuring out what people want to take home. They are the records are much more attraction based. They are much more the specific soundtrack from the like the actual soundtrack, not just something inspired by the attraction, but it is the music or the narration from the attractions themselves. And you know, if you want to get into the the next one that we that we have here, kind of going chronologically, the Country Bear Jamboree, when that finally opened in Disneyland is when they released the the record, the the soundtrack album, because it was so popular. First Disney World attraction to be transported back to Disneyland because it was just that popular. And it was a hit. And again, it is the show. This is the one that probably translates the best to to a record for an attraction because it's a musical show, just like the Tiki Room. It's a musical review and it translates perfectly Mm -hmm. to uh, a souvenir album. Yeah, and again, this idea of using your imagination because you do have, I think... I'm trying to remember. I think all of the tracks from the attraction are on there. Um, and more. Right. Because I was going to say, there's there's a couple of other ones, like uh, I think Come Again and Old Food. Like there's a few other ones that are not in the show, but are added to the the track list as well, right? Right. There's a couple of the songs. So it's the, the Country Bear Jamboree album from 1972. It is the full show with the little bits of chatter and and narration and introductions to the songs. Um, But at the end, there are a few extra tracks that, much like the Tiki Room, the Country Bear Jamboree has been shortened by, you know, a a few seconds here, a few minutes here, or a song here, a song there, a bit of dialogue here and there. So the, once again, it's the time capsule version of, of the Country Bear Jamboree, but I'm sure that, just like the Jungle Cruise, because it didn't take up, the soundtrack didn't take up a full LP's worth of space, they probably thought, oh, well, we have a few other tracks that we recorded that we didn't include in the um, in the, the the final show. So, so that's included on there. What's not included, because it didn't come until years and years later, are the, the vacation songs and the Christmas songs from the from the summer vacation and the the Christmas versions of the Country Bear Jamboree. I'm not sure if those were around, if either one of those were around long enough. Certainly, the summer vacation show ran in Disneyland for a really long time um, after it was converted from the original show. I'm not sure if they released a soundtrack, uh, uh, like a souvenir album of those iterations of the show. I just remember. Growing up watching the Disney sing-along songs uh, cassette tapes, the the VHS tapes Mm -hmm. that had no songs from the original Country Bear Jamboree, but it did have the Great Outdoors song. So the first time that I saw the Country Bear Jamboree and it was not the summer vacation version, I'm like, where's this song that I love? (laughs) Yeah, the um, the the the. Country Bear vacation hoedown and the the Christmas versions. that, that are no longer, but, and wasn't the, and I haven't listened to this in, in a long, long time, but wasn't the, uh, and again, time period, what is names like um, Tex Ritter, the grandfather of John Ritter. You're like, who's John Ritter? Three's company. He was <laughs> very, very funny. Um, wasn't the version of blood in the saddle that was on the record. 
not the one from the attraction, but it was this early vintage recording of of Blood on the Saddle. There's yeah, there's a it's been a while since I've listened to to this one, but there are a few differences. Either uh, maybe it was a different take that was used in the final recording. Um, it, it all kind of depends, and this is true not just for Disney records, but uh, or at least Disney Parks records, but a lot of movie soundtracks with um, dialogue are released. You know, they 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 put together the soundtrack recording at a different time than the final editing. So they they might change things from the soundtrack to the movie or the 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 attraction to the soundtrack, things like that. So I, I'll have to double check, but I'm pretty sure to the best of my recollection that most, if not all, of the Country Bear Jamboree album um, features stuff that is indeed, or at least was at one point, heard in the attraction. Um, it's not like one of those, you know, uh, K-Tel compilations <laughs> right. where it's like, oh, all the original artists, all the original bears uh, singing all the original hits. It, it wasn't quite like that. They they uh, seem to, at this point, be okay with uh, releasing the actual audio that was used uh, as long as it was ready, I would right. assume. And the thing that we that, that's important to mention to these two is when you bought this album, you were not just buying a sleeve with vinyl in it. You were buying something that had this a, this book accompaniment with right. you with beautiful photos and stories and, and artwork that's in there. I mean, you can almost sort of collect these for the album as much for, for the artwork as much as you can collect them for the art for the, you can for the album as much as you can collect them for the artwork that was inside because they really were sort of collectible story picture books as well. Lou, I totally spaced out because I actually have the Country Bear Jamboree album. <laughs> it's been sitting right in front of me this whole time that we've been talking. Um, so yeah, this is this opens up as a as a gatefold album with some really great photos of of the show and the the illustrations as well. Um, the profiles of each of the characters. This is really wonderful. I love how they have uh, profiles of of. Not Big Al, Big Albert, as he is officially uh, named. But like full backstories, like they give like Wendell, yeah. like his own backstory. It's really, it's really wild to think that like somebody would go see the Country Bear Jamboree and think, I need to know, I need to know more about Gomer. <laughs> What's Gomer's story? I need to know everything there, there can be known about Wendell and liver lips. But we did, right? This, Eric, this is the exactly. stuff. These albums, and we'll, we'll get to another one that you'd be like, why would you buy this one? These albums and that that thin, very thin, black um, story of Walt Disney World that was sort of almost shaped like the letter D, that's what I read in the car ride from mm -hmm. Orlando to New Jersey every year. And to the point that they weren't just dog-eared, like this is just what I read over and over because I we just wanted to consume anything and everything that we could. And I could not wait to get home and put these records on my turntable to sort of keep the Disney world sort of vacation experience going. Oh, sure. And it's, you know, it's the same reason why we do things like collecting Disney memorabilia. And uh, my favorite thing is I love to rewatch the, the, hotel room uh information channel loops the 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 tip for today that's the that's the one that sends me right back almost as much as the uh as any soundtrack album does um but they yeah they they were figuring this out and 
Um, if you want to get to the the next big record, and this is the one, you know, if, if people don't are if people aren't record collectors, they may not have the attraction specific ones. Or if you were on a tight budget back in the 60s and 70s, you might not want to have uh, to have purchased a record for every single attraction. So in 1980, if you want to leap ahead to 1980. Oh, wait, I was going to jump ahead to 1972. Yeah, I was going to jump to okay, 1972, 1972. Because what kid didn't want to run into the souvenir shop and say, I don't want the plush. I don't want the Mickey ears. I want the Hall of Presidents album <laughs> with the 11 page book of full color illustrations. Um, there was like nine different tracks that was released in uh, 1972 narrated by Larry Dobkin and again the Buddy Baker score and Royal Dano as the voice of Lincoln with not just you know taking you through the attractions but it literally is sort of this you know historical musical snapshot through time interestingly this one was in full stereophonic sound, and the Country Bear Jamboree was only in mono, like even when they were right. re-released. But I, you know, this one's important too because when the Hall of Presidents opened, and I when I like I used to do tours of the parks. Even now, if I'm with friends or family, I you know I sort of like it or not, I sort of give mini tours as as we walk through special places, like and help it <laughs> right. The Hall of Presidents was a ridiculously popular attraction. How ridiculously popular? One, it was an e-ticket attraction. Two, that covered area to the left of the Hall of Presidents that sort of was built because the lines were so long, they wanted to build shade cover for people who were waiting literally hours to go into this, right? And it it also, I I like the fact too, that that it has its musical roots and its visual roots in the World's Fair and in Disneyland, right? Great moments with Mr. Lincoln and some of the dialogue that was taken from that for the Hall of Presidents and and some of the scoring based on themes from great moments from uh, Mr. Lincoln and some of that that narration from Larry Dobkin and Dallas McKinnon, who's not credited on the album, but he has some, some dialogue in there as well. Um, we'll talk about, I mean, they even created this one later on. They re-released it as, we'll talk about the picture discs, um, mm-hmm. you know, sort of adding something even more to this, not just the records that you got with with the sounds and the sound effects and the music and the story, but the visual element that was added because of the book that came along with it. Yeah, it's it's really, that I think more than more than most of the ones that we've talked about so far, like you you had to be, committed and a big fan of the hall of presidents to it. You know, that's not something that you just like pop on in the background while you're having a, a swinging <laughs> cocktail party in the, in the mid to late seventies. Um, from, from personal experience, you know, I, I born and raised and grew up here in Philadelphia. So seeing a little part of Walt Disney world dressed up like old city, <laughs> I, like, all right, we have this at home. We have a, I have a Liberty bell at home. What do I, what do I need to go into and see this for? Um, but yeah, to to hear much like the Tiki Room, much like the Country Bear Jamboree, the Hall of Presidents, by its very nature, has changed a lot over the years. And so to get this time capsule where, yeah, a lot of the audio still was held over from 
uh, great moments with Mr. Lincoln, which there there were. I wasn't sure if we wanted to get so deep into this, uh, but uh, why not? Um, there there were records released from the 64 World's Fair, uh, mostly in a 45 format. And th- that was like a total keepsake thing that was not meant to last longer than, you know, longer than the World's Fair itself did. Um, so so those are a little harder to come by. Um, but there were records released of uh, great moments with Mr. Lincoln. It's a small world. Uh, not sure if there was one of uh, Progress City or, or anything like that, uh, but there probably was, if, if if nothing else, than to uh, you know help out the sponsors. But the yeah, like you said, it's it's an interesting time capsule of what they thought or what they even knew people wanted to take home from their experience in the theme parks. Um, it comes up a lot that there are especially in the early days of Disneyland, there are very few photos of certain attractions or shops because people were not wanting to spend the the film or the flashbulbs <laughs> to capture something. And in a similar way, these records capture for posterity, if not for, you know, ongoing enjoyment, they capture for posterity what these attractions were either right when they opened or when they were still in the process of being developed in, in some cases. And it's, it's really interesting to me in, in that respect, because you know, the, if you go to the hall of presidents today, like I remember, I'm not sure when they did away with, it was always the, the, the speeches were from Lincoln. There was a short thing from Lincoln and then the current president mm-hmm. spoke and that started maybe in the 80s or maybe with Ronald Reagan or, or maybe with George Bush. Um, but before that, yeah, it was mostly the audio that was drawn from Great Moments with Mr. Lincoln with, with Royal Dano um, that you know you would hear on the record and was such a familiar voice to people who had seen that show in Disneyland that once they brought a version of it to Orlando, reached a much wider audience people probably still remembered it from seeing it at the uh, at the world's fair less than a decade before um and, and wanting to take something home with them but yeah I, I i really can't picture people hey honey what do you want to listen to while we're <laughs> while we're making dinner while we're, we're having some friends over for for a, a shindig let's put on oh my number one hot hit the hall of presidents <laughs> soundtrack but i'm sure you know, maybe even individually, or, you know, I can imagine sort of, you know, maybe not kids, but sort of gathering around, you know, the, the record player and sort of reliving that, um, that, that attraction experience together, or like we, you know, have done and continue to do getting ready and excited for, um, our next trip. By the way, Clinton was the very first one to record his voice for the hall of presidents, but, but this did, this sort of led to a, a number of other, individual attractions uh, getting their own album, right? Space Mountain got one in in 77. Um, Stupid little fun fact. The voice of the narrator was Dick Tufeld. You're like, who's that? He was the robot in Lost in Space. You're like, what's that? (laughs) I know, I'm really old, but this is sort of things. But it was this idea of this continuing journey through, you know, Space Mountain and space. We had 
uh, ones for It's a Small World, for the Electrical Water Pageant, which also got one of those gorgeous uh, picture discs. Uh, I love those. Yeah, I love those so much. Um, they did one for for Soaring Over California, for the Orange Bird, you know, in the in the early 70s. And even they would do ones later on from, from different lands. Like, I remember, like, music from Mickey's Toontown Fair. So th- this snowball effect that happened obviously evidence is the fact that we love this idea of bringing the music and the stories home through these individual. And then we can obviously talk about uh, a lot of the, the compilation albums that were made available in the parks. Sure. And yeah. And before we get too far afield on that, it does occur to me that records like the, you know, I, I feel like I was maybe unnecessarily bagging on the, uh, the hall of president soundtrack <laughs> as being you know, not the, not the, uh, the 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 coolest thing, but it occurs to me that records like that were very, very popular in the 60s and the 70s. I'm thinking of albums like The First Family by Vaughn Meter, uh, you know, spoken word comedy record that was a parody of the Kennedy White House. That was a massively successful album. Um, Stan Freeberg's uh, production of the United States of America. Records like this, not by Disney, were really, really popular around this time as things that, yeah, you would get around a record player and just listen to with your friends and family. Uh, Comedy albums and spoken word albums were just really, really big at the time. Uh, And so it it makes total sense, uh, despite my, you know, despite my attitude, (laughs) it makes total sense that Disney would want to make their own version of that. And hey, we already have this attraction that is you know, so chest thumpingly patriotic that is, you know, right in line with these kinds of records that were already popular around the same time. Yeah. And then they, they did, you know, I think when they realized too, it wasn't just these individual attractions that for sake of, of attractiveness, and I think convenience, this idea of creating, um, compilation albums and these sort of, you know, sort of complete park related, soundtrack and i think 1972 i think you showed this earlier was the first one was the musical souvenir of walt disney world literally just a few months after the park had opened really not just about attraction specific but i I think really more about the area music in in mind um where and I, i know jack wagner had a lot to do with designing a lot of the loops for the park disney sort of you know, allowed him to go and and do his things um, in Walt Disney World, and then bring bring them back to Disneyland as well. Yeah, Jack Wagner was you know the voice of Disneyland, and you heard his voice so many so many times. And I was astonished when I learned that he was also a big record nerd and a big record collector. And yeah, he designed and and put together. These multi-hour long, you know, you, you may not think about how long the music loops in the theme park, just the the ambient area music loops are uh, until, you know, if you go online and, and you fire one of them up and you see, oh, my God, this Main Street music loop is three and a half hours long. I never thought of it being that long. Well, you don't want to hear uh, sorry with the fringe on top, uh, you know, every 20 minutes when you're when you're walking around. Uh, down Main Street. So yeah, these loops had to be really long and Jack Wagner contributed things from his personal record collection to the uh, to the Imagineers when they were designing 
uh, the, the the sound of the theme parks. Yeah, what I have is is not that early one, but is indeed the the first compilation um, record. But yeah, like you said, a lot of these early recordings, um, the the more uh, compendium kinds of of recordings that gave you a snapshot of the theme parks, not any specific attraction, were mostly yes area music and sometimes performances by live artists or live performers or live groups that would play in the theme park. So you would get maybe a little snippet of a, piano, a ragtime piano player from from Main Street or the fife and drum from Liberty Square or or a Dixieland band from from New Orleans Square. Um, there are a ton of records recorded. This is an entire separate sidebar that we can go <laughs> down a, a different time. But there's a bunch of records recorded at Disneyland um, by folks like the Firehouse Five Plus Two, mm-hmm. the, the the Dixieland band formed by a bunch of Disney animators. Uh, Date night at Disneyland by by the Elliott Brothers. That is their um, you know they were the house band at the at the Carnation Plaza Gardens, and so this is uh, a, a representation of one of their shows would be like. Uh, there's a Golden Horseshoe album. Um, there's what's my oh I had this written down that was my other favorite that I wanted to mention. Oh yes, okay, this is the weirdest one, and it's <laughs> maybe the weirdest one because Disney has officially uploaded this to Spotify. There is there is no reason why Disney should have this uploaded in 2023 because the shop and the person that this is connected to has not existed in ages. And that is Echoes of Disneyland from 1957. This is an album by D. Fisher. Who's D. Fisher? I, I don't know who D. Fisher was. D. Fisher was the manager of the Main Street Wurlitzer shop in Disneyland. And at night, he would perform on the the organ that they had there, and they would pipe the music from the Wurlitzer shop out onto Main Street for these Mm. evening concerts. And it's all Disney music, which is another thing that is unusual that many of these records, especially the area music, the orchestration albums, and even the, you know, the Ragtime and the Disneyland Band albums that were released, didn't actually feature music from Disney movies. This does, but performed in a solo Wurlitzer organ. It's it's a little spooky. <laughs> it's really it's really atmospheric, and you can just it's very place making. You can just picture yourself um, walking down at Main Street at like twilight or or after dark, and hearing this music coming out of the Wurlitzer shop, and whether that motivated anybody to go and buy a Wurlitzer. I guess buying the record of the Wurlitzer music was the second best thing to schlepping a Wurlitzer out of uh, out of Disneyland with you. But uh, this is a really cool record and it is beyond me why it is as available as it is <laughs> all of these years later. Yeah, it's um it, it's interesting to see, you know, obviously Disney realizes the the popularity of the the compilations, you know, of, of the park related soundtracks. I mean, really starting to release them, you know, almost on a yearly basis. Sometimes with music specifically from the attraction, sometimes you just have, you know, JP and the Silver Stars doing a steel drum band Adventureland uh background music so it gave you a sense of not just the attractions but you know placemaking as well and not just songs that were written for disneyland but you know especially in places like um 
Liberty Square, you would have Fife and Drum Corps and, and Battle Hymn of the Republic. So there's music that is maybe rearranged for the Disney parks, but is is very familiar because of, of context in in storytelling. So these official albums of Disneyland and Walt Disney World continue on, uh, even start getting some park-specific albums like splash dance um like when I, <laughs> yes splash dance really was uh, uh yeah th- i i was i was wondering <laughs> if we were going to go go down that avenue but yeah there was some there's some i would call it um trend chasing or or snake charming kind of stuff of how how can we how can we reach the youths of today <laughs> right. are it, it's basically the the album version of you know like videopolis like it is, <laughs> right. it is how do we how do we reach these hip 80s kids let's just put a, a disco beat underneath uh, the maple leaf rags like Sound, that right. it was a soundtrack for water related activities in Walt Disney <laughs> sure. World so you know you might have had music from river country and things like that but um it was meant to sort of reflect you know, the upbeat, trendy, like you said, atmosphere of the Disney water park and, and sort of water-based attractions. But there was that time, I think, especially in the early 2000s, that there was this this just constant run of albums, whether they were compilations, whether they were even um, legacy collections, whether they were about parades and fireworks. I mean, there were dozens and dozens that had come out um, through the year. So you were able to get something from, you know, the parade memories and the electrical parade and happily ever after as early as, you know, and Disneyland forever as late as like 2019. So they had these continued releases and special event. You'd get, you know, official albums to recognize this dated anniversary or the release of this show, whatever it was. And I think, you know, especially before we got to streaming services, these became things that collectors and just fans alike, it was probably, again, this is for a lot of this, this is really is like pre-YouTube. This is, so there was no way to experience from a, an, at least an audio, forget video perspective, unless you were recording these things on your own, be able to sort of recreate that at home. And one of the things that, that I loved that Disney did. And, and I, it's funny because Erica, I've mentioned this on the show before people like you're insane. Mangello. They never had this thing. This is like you, it's a like Mandela. They used to have what they called wonderland music kiosks where you were able to make your own CD. So there was one on, on uh, main street as well as in once upon a toy at Walt Disney world. There was the uh, one in Disneyland at the, the 20th century music shop. And what you were able to do was not just browse collections of CDs that, you know, were quote unquote off the shelf, but if they didn't have what you want, you could burn a CD right on the spot. And it came with, you know, a jewel case and it came with the art and things like that. And it gave you, obviously with, with CDs and being able to sort of burn on demand, it gave you the ability to have access to a much larger catalog of not just current releases, but past releases. So you were able to get, you know, highlights from the Mickey Mouse TV show and the Walt Disney World, um, the, the marching band and the Jungle Book and Mickey Mouse and Friends. So there was a lot of, of 
I mean, I, th- I think at one point there was about 60 different recordings, current and vintage, that you were able to have manufactured right in the store on demand in like two minutes. Lou, in this instance, I can say you are not insane because I had this <laughs> only written this down. Instance, right? Only this instance. <laughs> we, we've only just met, but uh, no, I, yeah. Uh, I, I had this written down because I was I was trying to think of, and listeners, please, I encourage you to share any memories that you have of buying these records in the parks. And, and that is where I'm kind of drawing a blank because when I first started going to, to Disney world and eventually Disneyland in the nineties and, and through the two thousands, uh, I do remember these kiosks, these, these uh, burn CD burning on demand kiosks as really the only place where you could find um, soundtracks from the parks. They would maybe have like a rack of CDs, maybe by the cash register. I, I think I'm, uh, maybe confusing that with you know my local Disney store probably had that, but uh, yeah, the the kiosks where you could browse through on a futuristic touchscreen uh, all of these uh, things from movies and and shorts and audio from the theme parks. Some of that stuff, to to the best of my knowledge, was only available there. Mm-hmm. Obviously, you could get burned. Hey, you want a copy of the Haunted Mansion soundtrack? Here's the Haunted Mansion soundtrack. But there were some elements that, you know, they had to digitize them in order to make them available on these kiosks, but have not been released in any capacity in any format since. They're kind of lost or locked to time on, you know, whatever database served these served these kiosks. So I would implore anybody who is, uh, you know, connected to Disney's audio archives to make that stuff available. Some of us really want to hear uh, all of that, uh, that until now, like very lost audio. Um, but if you want to talk about compilations and and I, I, you know, I've been inching towards these two records that I think are the two heavy hitters. These are the ones that I think most people probably have. If you don't have an individual you know, attraction record. If you didn't want to spring for for you know a dozen albums, a dozen LPs of all of your your different favorite attractions, you probably bought the official album of Disneyland and Walt Disney World, which I I have here. This is from 1980, and it has the Main Street Electrical Parade on the cover. And I was trying to tell if they did a composite of Sleeping Beauty Castle and Cinderella Castle because they didn't want to make it. Um, you know, park specific, but no, it is very definitively Cinderella Castle. It's on the on the front of this. Um, but this is this should be very familiar to a lot of folks. Uh, it has Main Street Electrical Parade. It has Pirates of the Caribbean. It has the music of Main Street, which highlights from the Dapper Dan's and the Main Street Pianist, uh, the Ragtime Pianist. Uh, it has a little bit of the Enchanted Tiki Room. It has a little bit of the Country Bear Jamboree, and it's a small world uh, and the Haunted Mansion. It has a little bit of America Sings, and it has a little bit of the Hall of Presidents and more. This is a collection, like you were saying, of not just attraction, soundtracks, and audio, minimal dialogue. They were definitely trying to squeeze as much as possible onto this record, um, which makes it interesting that they would include so many performances that were kind of ephemeral of the Fife and Drum Corps and the Adventureland Band and uh, the, the Royal Street Bachelors are, are on this, too. Um, so this was released in 1980. It is the first 
official compilation of Disney Park audio that was commercially released. And it was followed a few years later by this, the official album of Epcot Center, which I love this because it is every one of those early Mm -hmm. Epcot Center pavilion theme songs that I don't think any of them may, well, one little spark is still around in some capacity, but these, you want to talk about time capsules. There is nothing more time capsule than a record from 1983 of Epcot Center uh, Pavilion theme song. So it has all of your favorites. It's got uh, Energy You Make the World Go Around. It's got Magic Journeys, uh, the, the other Universe of Energy song. And Lou, it has your favorite from the Epcot Computer Central. It has the computer song. <laughs> You're tempting Everyone's me to start singing it. You see my friends, the computer makes life. I'm not going to do it. Uh, Ken Jennings <laughs> did a much better. But what we're starting to see, though, is there is this progression, evolution, devolution of getting away from these narrated story-based albums to more compilations of the theme park music themselves. I think what you start to see is you start getting things like the picture discs because now you're collecting it not for the music that's on there, but for almost the the displayability of some of these picture disc records of which I still have some because things like the, the artwork for the electrical parade is, is beautiful, right? And it just, it, it, it's great. I, I it couldn't find wonderful. My copy. Yeah. It shows wonderfully yeah. on the, on the record itself. Um, it's really great. And that, that ties in again to something that was very popular around the time outside of Disney picture discs. And um, you know, nowadays uh, colored vinyl is, is pretty commonplace uh, way for record labels to make something with, with visual interest, but yeah, picture discs and uh, die cut records were, were pretty common uh, or, or at least emerging uh, in the early eighties and around the time that Disney would have been, uh, you know, exploring these in, in an effort to, uh, you know, to keep up with, with uh, record technology. Uh, what's interesting to me, too, is about this Epcot Center album, only two countries. From, it's, it's all of Future World, including some, some area music, the, the entrance overture that's, you know, very dramatic, I think, is, is pretty well known. It, they, they got a lot of mileage out of that. Um, <laughs> only the American Adventure and Canada are, are represented on this. Uh, and if some of this sounds familiar, there's also a, there's a kitchen cabaret medley and, and my other favorite making memories from the, the journey into imagination post show. If some of this is sounding a little bit familiar to listeners, these two albums, the music of Disneyland and Walt Disney world and the music of Epcot center, these were combined into a CD in, uh, 1989. And it is my gosh, the type on here is so small. <laughs> it is 28 tracks, 28 tracks of music from those three theme parks. And the track list is pretty much the same. Unfortunately, the, the astuter computer song uh, that, that didn't make the cut uh, this time around. It probably wasn't around anymore in, in 89. Um, but there's some music from some of the attractions that were not yet open. There's a lot of music from Splash Mountain uh, on here. Um there's uh, what is really interesting to me is that there is a three and a half minute 
track, and it's track three on this CD. Again, this is the music of Disneyland, Walt Disney World, and Epcot Center. There is a track on here called The Droid Rooms. And <laughs> you want to talk about them getting away from this placemaking? This is probably like them saying around a boardroom, we have to put in something from this Star Tours mm -hmm. thing. We can't, we don't have the budget to license the John Williams music. What else have we got? So this is three and a half minutes of clanking. I can hear it in my head. Like I know grinding. what the Droid Room sound, <laughs> soundtrack actually sounds like. Um, and we don't care, right? We don't care because it, exactly. it, again, it, it connects us to this place. But, you know, over time, Eric, you would think as vinyl starts to disappear, CDs start to disappear, Disney would just stop producing these in this digital era with with streaming services and you know obviously as these things started to as digital music started to come about you were able to find stuff um, not necessarily officially recorded and licensed but you were able to find stuff on the internet and then Disney certainly very much went all in and embraced it so you can find you know for example on Spotify there are official playlists from Disney. And what I love is it's not just here is the 50 years of Walt Disney World, 65 songs, three and a half hours worth of music that'll keep you busy on your car ride to and from work, but other sort of interpretations and, and compilations of different types of music. So you'll find, you know, music from Sunset Boulevard. You'll find, you know, Disney park music, that's rearranged in, in jazz format. Um, Disney, I think really sort of embracing. And if you do want, to, I think people don't realize this, Eric, because if you do want to either own or look, a lot of people, a lot of audiophiles will say, listen, there is something warm. There's a warmth to playing something on vinyl. I, I do not disagree. You can, if you go to DisneyMusicEmporium.com, they still produce a lot of vinyl, a lot of these picture discs specifically not just from you know old movies but from recent releases um and the theme parks as well um they actually just re released a disney 100 set um i think it's like two silver you know vinyls to celebrate um the 100th anniversary but you can still get like the haunted mansion picture disc it's like 20 bucks on there that features, you know, that original poster art on there and um, not just tracks like from Walt Disney World, but even like that ghostly music box, which is just so hauntingly beautiful from Disneyland Paris as well. Yeah, they they had I earlier this year, I uh, went to the uh, the world premiere of the Disney 100 exhibit at the Franklin Institute here in Philly, and they have a whole section that's about music and specifically about records that have been released from the theme parks, but also the the movies and TV shows and shorts and specials and things. And it's it's like a whole collage on the wall of all of the cover art. And I went around looking for all of the uh, Annette Funicello releases because she's my favorite. Um, but there's a listening station there so you can hear uh, a pretty wide selection of uh, Disney records, both from the parks and, and not from the parks um, that uh, they they have kept in some kind of circulation. Um, you, you talk about interpretations, and this is I. In addition to the the music of Disneyland and Walt Disney World and Epcot Center CD that I grew up listening to, 
The other one that I have an immense amount of fondness for is Disney's Music from the Park. And this uh, this may look familiar. I'm showing it to you right now. Disney's Music mm-hmm. from the Park. Uh, this is an album that came out in the 1990s. And I don't think that it was connected to any... It came out in 1996, so that would have been uh, after... Well, it was the 25th anniversary of uh, of Disney World, I suppose. But I don't think it was specifically connected to that. This features interpretations of music from the theme parks, some from the movies, but they cheated a little bit, uh, by folks like the Pointer Sisters and Bare Naked Ladies, Linda Ronstadt, Tim Curry is on it doing the Ballad of Davy Crockett. I think that he like read over the lyrics once and just did his own ad lib interpretation. I was listening to it the other day. It is phenomenal. Unfortunately, this CD is out of print, but if you do find a copy of it, it the production on it is, let's say, not maybe the most contemporary sounding production, <laughs> but it's really cool to hear, you know, the the Pointer Sisters um, do a great version of A Pirate's Life for me, which I didn't know that I wanted that in my life. But <laughs> right. now that I have it in my life is, is I'm, I'm, I'm all the better for it, I think. Uh, but yeah, it, it, like you were saying, it is interesting what they have made available and what they haven't made available. Um, some of my favorite music loops from the parks, uh, the things that you've talked about on, on previous shows, a lot of them are not available from Disney in any official capacity. That doesn't mean that you can't find them, but it's it's really interesting to me. And I, I, it makes me wonder if Disney knows, they have to know what a connection people have mm-hmm. with their background music loops. They They have rolled out on their official streaming channels they have rolled out things like, you know, Minnie Mouse's version of lo-fi hip-hop beats to relax or study to. But I would just as soon listen to the music from Main Street USA or from uh, mid-90s Tomorrowland uh, to, you know, to to focus or, or to, you know, to keep me occupied uh, while I'm writing or, or or researching, but it's it is interesting. I think the the overarching story of of all of these records is it is very odd to think what they thought people wanted to take home <laughs> with them and what they don't think people want to take home with them by the absence of some of these what you would think would be no brainers right. <laughs> some of these recordings. Um, but if if you want to if you want to wind down, I do have one more thing that I wanted to that I wanted to bring up to you that is not a direct connection to the theme parks, but is one of the more unusual Disney records that I have in my collection. And this is Walt Disney's popular record label has the original cast album of Summer Magic. Hmm. And this is a 45 single that is a sampler of songs from Summer Magic that this record made specifically for Alcoa rap. This was a brand of, I want to say either wax paper Mm -hmm. or aluminum foil that for a promotional, maybe you sent a UPC or if there was a tear off thing on the package and you sent away and they would send you a handful of songs from Summer Magic (laughs) in return. And even the label, it is released through, so Disneyland Records does still exist uh, it was renamed uh, Walt Disney Records in, in the late 1980s, but they also had this side label, Buena Vista Recordings, that did a lot of Annette Funicello's records. It was basically, they spun it off 
to release things that were not specifically connected to Disneyland or or the animated features. So this is distributed through, it has the Buena Vista Records logo on the label, but it also has the Alcoa Rap <laughs> logo on the label. Uh, you know, the esteemed uh, A&R folks at uh, Alcoa Rap really, really got this one. But uh, the connection here being, as, as you've discussed in the past, that there is a, you know, a, a hidden backstory to the Emporium on Main Street USA that connects to uh, to a Burl Ives character in Summer Magic. Uh, so that's just a little bit of extra um, uh, record ephemera, record oddities <laughs> that I have uh, for you today. Well, it's not an oddity, right? Because I think we all have certain songs, certain attractions. You who might be listening is saying, well, this is the thing that I love. This is the one that means something to me because I got it with my mom and dad because this attraction holds um, special meaning for me because they don't have this song anymore, but I still get to hear, you know, making memories whenever I want. But what I think, what I love and, and just to sort of tie this up in a bow is I, is I think that the Disney parks specifically, the soundtracks have, they've evolved, right? They, they've along, they've evolved alongside the, the growth and the innovation and expansion of the Disney parks. So going from some of those early narrated tours to these very comprehensive compilations and the attraction-specific releases, they have become both like physical as well as emotional keepsakes for us who are Disney theme park fans. They allow us to relive that magic whenever we want and transport us back to some of our favorite Disney park moments. I would love to know from you, our friend, the listener, do you have any, did you ever collect any, do you still have any of the attraction specific records? Which one is your favorite? Which one is on your, you know, Holy Grail list? I see all the time on, on social media, people posting that they went to a flea market or they went to, you know, one of these, um, you know, somebody's garage sale and they found one of these old records for a couple of dollars and they love it because there's this wonderful sense of, of, tactile ownership of the thing or seeing something that they hadn't seen since they were a kid, um, you know, since they were a, a, a child, maybe owning those when they bought those from the parks. What are some of your favorite Disney park compilation records, CDs? What did we miss? What is something that maybe we didn't talk about that you love or you have? I'd love for you to share that in the clubhouse over at www.radio.com slash clubhouse. Or if you want to share it on social, you can post a picture or a story or a reel or a thread or a MySpace, whatever it is, just tag me at Lou Mangello to make sure that I see it and I'll repost it for you. Uh, Eric, thank you so much for uh, taking the time and sharing your expertise and some of that that shared nostalgia that we have. Uh, if anybody wants to connect with you, where would they where would they find you on social? Sure, you can find me online at the Eric Schumann at T H E E R I C S C H U M A N. Instagram is mostly where I am, uh, posting pictures of. Uh, records and my cat and seltzer and tiki <laughs> things and, and all kinds of fun stuff. Uh, you can also find the radio station that I work at, uh, WXPN, uh, online, xpn.org. You can stream the station wherever. Uh, I'm on uh, Friday nights uh, locally here in Philadelphia, and uh, you can find 
uh, some of the bands and, and other things that I've recorded and produced over the years. Uh, not a ton of Disney stuff. We do have a program that is on nightly called Kids Corner that I have contributed to. Um, we have had some conversations about uh, Disney parks, uh, music in the Disney parks uh, in the past. Um, but you can find all of those at uh, xpn.org. We're also a member-supported radio station, so do with that information what you will. If you like what you hear, you can become a member. Um, and the good thing about these records too, Lou, is that Disney made so many of them. They are not too difficult to find either in, like you said, uh, somebody's garage sale, yard sale, or on uh, on Discogs, you know, a very popular uh, record buying, selling, trading uh, website. Um, they made so many of these and there is not a huge collector's market for, for these just because they are so common. Uh, there, there's not a ton of rarities or, or variants or, or things like that. So if you are looking to start your own uh, collection of uh, souvenir albums from the Disney parks, it's pretty low overhead, uh, although I am not personally willing to part with any of mine. So don't bother asking. Awesome. Well, again, I appreciate it. Last question for you. You're firing up four parks, one world. What is your go-to Disney theme park track? Go. Oh, it's it, is making memories on there because yes. that's the one I really want. I really want to hear someday. You know, there's there's diehard Simpsons fans who want the Dapper Dans to sing uh, "Baby on Board," but I really want to hear the Dapper Dans. Uh, singing making memories that that'll really uh, that'll take me back <laughs> i like the, uh, the baby on board reference i'm going to ask you in the clubhouse as well what is your go-to disney theme park music tracks eric schumann thank you again so very much thank you so much lou Cheese, little did they realize back then they were making memories Time for our Walt Disney World Trivia Question of the Week, where I'm going to challenge you to test your knowledge of Walt Disney World trivia or history, maybe ask you to identify where in Disney you may have heard a sound, a song, or a quote. And this week's trivia contest is brought to you by you. Because as part of the WW Radio Nation, you help bring every episode of the show to life, every live broadcast. They really are all thanks to and by, for, with, and about you, and you can find out how you can help the show for as little as a dollar per month and get exclusive rewards every month like scavenger hunts, trivia quests, take part in our monthly group video calls, get access to our private Facebook group. I'll send you shirts, stickers, monthly care packages from the parks, and much more. You also get discounts and early access to special events. Most importantly, a portion of your contribution goes to our Dream Team project to benefit the Make-A-Wish Foundation of America. Thanks to you, we've raised more than $550,000 to help children with life-threatening illnesses and their families come to Walt Disney World and have their wish come true. I want to thank some new and longtime members of the Nation family, including Justin Appleton. This was a gift from his mom. I love that. Thank you, Justin. Thank you, Mom. Jeffrey Kempster, Marlene Janot, M. Malakoti, Emma Harmon, and Angela Batista. Thank you, thank you, thank you. If you want to find out how you can be a member and join the nation, visit www.radio.com support. Now, before we get to this week's question, let's go back, review last week's, and select our winner. So we were talking about Disney and the relationship to and with the military. And your question last week was to tell me, what Disney character was officially discharged from the U.S. military 
by the Department of Defense. Remember, I was looking for a character, not a real person. Thanks to so many of you entered, got this one correct. Some gave me some great bits of trivia as well, because the answer is, of course, Donald Duck. It's true. His first film appearance was really in a supporting role in The Wise Little Hen, 1934, which was an episode of Walt's Silly Symphonies series of cartoon shorts. He looked very different, a lot more like the duck in Steamboat Willie, but he had a little bit of blue on his head and a green hat and suspenders with green pants. But he was a sailor, and even though he went a wardrobe upgrade in future shorts and films, he did, 50 years later, celebrate his official discharge from the U.S. Army. According to the Department of Defense, Donald Duck was officially drafted into the Army in 1941, right before the U.S. entered the war. On May 1st, 1942, he made his first military appearance in the cartoon Donald Gets Drafted, which is actually the first time we see his middle name, which is Fauntleroy. He made a number of appearances in shorts and films and some of the military propaganda films that Disney made. And actually, in later years, in the original DuckTales cartoon series, Donald's nephews were sent to live with their great-uncle Scrooge McDuck because of Donald's enlistment in the United States Navy. He was officially addressed as Seaman Duck during his later appearances on the show, although... Officially, he was never been enlisted in the U.S. Navy, but was actually given this rare honor of being declared an honorary member of the U.S. Navy and the United States Marine Corps. He's also a member of the Screen Actors Guild and an honorary graduate of the University of Oregon. We served as mascot from 1943 to 2010. But officially, on May 19th, 1984, 50-year-old Donald Duck was officially served his discharge papers by the Department of Defense. And he was actually promoted to Sergeant E-5 for his retirement ceremony by then-Lieutenant General Arthur E. Brown Jr. Anyway, that's probably way more than you bargained for, but I took all the correct entries, randomly selected one, and last week we were playing for a WW Radio mug, a pin, and a mystery prize, and last week's winner, randomly selected, is Tim Burgess. So, Tim, congratulations. I'll get your prize package out to you right away. If you played last week and didn't win, that's okay, because here's your next chance to enter in this week's food-related, of course, Walt Disney World Trivia Challenge. So we're going to move from Donald to Mickey and incorporate a little or a lot of dining, because... Mickey's own restaurant, Chef Mickey's, currently located in Disney's Contemporary Resort, actually used to be located somewhere else. Where was the original location of Chef Mickey's restaurant? You have until Sunday, July 30th. I'm giving you two weeks because this coming week I am leading our WW Radio group Adventures by Disney to Wyoming, so I won't be able to get a show out this week. I apologize. So you have an extra week to do your research, even if that means actually going to Chef Mickey's for no other reason than going to Chef Mickey's. If you think you know the answer, you can go to www.radio.com, click on this week's podcast, use the form there. Again, you're going to play for the WW Radio mug, the pin, and you know what? I'm going to throw in another bonus mystery prize. So good luck, stay hungry, and have fun. that's going to do it for this week's show. Thank you so much for taking the time to tune in this and every week. I hope you enjoyed our segment about Disney records. I'd love to know 
If you own any Disney vinyl or CD, what is your favorite? Come be part of the community and conversation. Talk not just about this week's show, but anything in the Disney, Marvel, or Star Wars universe at www.com slash clubhouse. It is fun, free, friendly, family-friendly, and drama-free as well, too. You can also connect with me elsewhere on social. I am at Lou Mangiello on Instagram, Facebook, Threads, LinkedIn, and still a little bit of Twitter. You can email me with a question at lou at www.radio.com or call the voicemail with a hello from the parks, a comment about this week's show, or anything, and I'll play it on the air. You can call the voicemail at 407-900-9391. That's 407-900-WDW1. Check out our events page at www.radio.com slash events. Please also make sure you check out the all-new loumangelo.com. In addition to everything I do here at WW Radio, I'm also a keynote speaker, coach, and creator on a mission to not only share the magic of Disney, but also help entrepreneurs and solopreneurs build their brand and business through one-on-one coaching, mastermind group, and events, including my Momentum Weekend Workshop in Walt Disney World this fall, where 50 people gather together in one room for 20 sessions to learn, share, network, and grow in an environment of inspiration, education, community, and impact. Visit loumangelo.com slash momentum. Use code UNLOCK100 to get $100 off your weekend workshop session ticket and find out how together we can help you launch, grow, and monetize your business and brand. And whether you're coming to Walt Disney World on vacation for Momentum or if you're traveling anywhere on this big blue world of ours, please go and visit our friends over at mousefantravel.com. They are my official and recommended travel provider for all your vacation planning needs, no matter where you're going. They can help you with an incredible level of personal service that is their hallmark and it all comes at no cost to you. You can visit them over at mousefantravel.com. And as always, my friend, and you are my friend, I mean that sincerely, whether we have met yet or not. And all I ask is that if you like the show, please help spread the word. Share a link to this or your favorite episode with forward it to a friend or share it on social. Tag me at Lou Mangiello so I can reshare it and follow you back. And if you can, take just a couple of seconds to rate and review the show wherever it is that you listen, whether it's Spotify or Apple Podcasts. I want to thank a recent reviewer on Apple Podcast, P.E. Pataki from Canada, who says, More Lou and AJ, please. Episode number 734 has been my hands-down absolute favorite episode. Lou and AJ food reviews cannot be beat. When Lou introduced AJ, my mind was blown. Best crossover episode ever. P.E., thank you so much. If you enjoyed that episode, let AJ over at Disney Food Block know on social how much you enjoyed the episode. I did as well. Had a great time with AJ. Looking forward to having her back. And if there's something or someone you'd like to hear on the show, email me and let me know. I am traveling this week, as I mentioned earlier, on our group, WW Radio Adventures by Disney to Wyoming. Please follow along on social. I'll be doing a lot of stories and reels on Instagram. I'm at Lou Mangiello there. I'll also try and go live on the WW Radio page on Facebook as well as in the WW Radio Clubhouse at www.radio.com slash clubhouse. Until next time. Thank you, thank you, thank you. I mean it from the bottom of my heart. I love you. I appreciate you. I am grateful every single day for the opportunity and privilege to be your friend and just to share my love of Disney with you through the podcast and the site and the live video and everything else that we get to do together. You inspire me every single day to do better, to be better, to continue to choose the good. And I hope that this really is your best week ever. So until next time... I love you. See ya. Hey there, Lou. It's Fred, a.k.a. Mr. Fred, from GetMeCoding.com, and a Marine veteran. Um, I just wanted to kind of give you some feedback on the last podcast. It was episode 735. 
where you talk about the relationship between Disney and the military with Lee Stanley. Um, as a veteran, and husband of a veteran, and a father of someone heading into the military, I wanted to say thanks for bringing to light so many great connections between Disney and the military, but also the Lee for the great work um, you're doing to help the military members take advantage of those resources. Also, I wanted to share that as a former Marine officer, that transition from military to civilian world is a big transition. It is challenging, very stressful. And yeah, when you go to that closet and you have to pick out that suit with matching shoes and socks and ties for that first time, yeah, it's a little daunting. And sometimes some guidance is definitely needed there. Um, so I, I wanted to make sure that any of the military members that are listening to this, please make sure you take advantage of all those resources. Make the effort to get to your transition assistance program. And then as you bridge into the local communities, wherever you're going to go and live, seek out all those resources because they are phenomenal. Um, knowing how Disney supports our community with the heroes work here and also access to SkillBridge, which Lou mentioned, um, that will definitely give you a smoother transition um, into whatever career you're going to be pursuing. But also, I would think that if some military members are thinking about doing a startup, the Momentum Workshop that you've been hosting over these past seven years is a great opportunity to kind of kickstart that idea. But then also, if you are a veteran, you're going to see that you could also get access to different resources for small business startups. And there's a ton of that available through, um, you know, various government websites. So I would say if, they're, if you have an idea, attend Momentum, get the idea going. Um, and then as you do go back out there and you take advantage of these other resources, don't forget your local colleges and universities, which that is my main employer. And I know that we also provide great assistance for ideation, uh, business planning, and so on to veterans. So thanks again, Lou, for this great episode and, and the great reminder and shout-out to uh, all the resources that are available because it does get a little uh, dizzying and very, very stressful as you transition out. But thanks again for everything you're doing here and uh, for being so positive. As always, man, catch you later. Hey, Lou, it's Patrice Roberti from Metro Boston, and this isn't why I'm calling, but aren't your children so well-spoken and articulate and friendly and thoughtful and notice things. It's just uh, hearing your daughter on uh, the, the podcast about your trip to Paris was uh, just excellent. Uh, you and your wife, they, sound, they seem like such nice kids, and uh, I don't have kids, but I have heard that that's a lot of work for parents, so uh, you and your wife did a lovely job with those two lovely young people. Hey, the reason I'm calling is I didn't hear if you mentioned Jim Corcus yesterday, but I started listening to your podcast last August, and you always say, you know, uh, we're family, and if with family, his family feel like he's like Uncle Jim. I hope you do mention him on the podcast. I made a donation to the GoFundMe, and I think others wouldn't run the hugest one, but just to let him know, I really enjoyed um, his podcasts with you and his enthusiasm and his knowledge, and just wanted to let him know that, you know, people he didn't even know were thinking of him and wishing him well. So I hope you do mention it on the podcast and everything. It's, I couldn't think of anything that would be holding you back, but I hope there isn't anything holding you back because he deserves it. Take care. Bye.